Welcome everybody to an episode to another episode of No Lights, No Camera. Oh gosh. Action. Feel too loud. Oh wait, that was turning down your volume, not the. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, we're gonna play more sound clips right now because, uh, as with the last episode, we're gonna be doing entirely a film alphabet challenge films today. Okay, now that was too quiet, and I accidentally clicked. Let's make some magic. God, this episode is going great. First I <laughs> first I accidentally push the button that goes to the next slide to show the thumbnail for whenever we do the miserable movie Oscars cuz I already have that thumbnail put together. Mm-hmm. Then <laughs> then the the sounds are too loud so I turn them down and then they're way too quiet. And of course, uh, this is uh, covering the second half of our uh, marathon that we did. Um, and uh, this this was a different day. This this was the day after the other four we did. Um, and we're actually recording this the day after we've watched all these films and not right away because we didn't have time uh to record this episode yesterday uh but uh here now and uh yeah we're covering films n through q on this one uh for n it was my pick and i ended up going with the naked gun uh from the files of police squad yeah that's the full title but of course most people probably just know it as the naked gun um, this, uh, is a comedy basically parodying, like, film noir cop movies, um, and, uh, starring Leslie Nielsen, uh, and it's made by the same guys who did Airplane, so it's got that same, like, it, it, it's got two types of humor, the really, like, like character is dumb but the humor's really clever because of how dumb they are and and to humor that would not be okay in a movie today (laughs) (laughs) um the plot basically goes uh i'll have to look up uh, leslie nielsen's character's name um but uh basically leslie nielsen plays a member of police squad and uh he uncovers a plot frank drebin is his character's name and uh he um 
he he well his his friend on the force unfortunately played by oj simpson (laughs) because this movie came out in 1988 um uh so oj simpson's character uh norberg uh gets shot uh while on a mission and um frank sets out to find the culprit uh and he eventually finds out it was um, that uh, Nor Norberg was shot by some men working for a business tycoon by the name of Vincent Ludwig, who is plotting to assassinate the Queen when she comes to America. Of, Eng- of England, yeah, Queen of England, I should say, yes. Um, and uh, he he meets a woman of. Uh, who is uh, Ludwig's assistant, uh, Jane Spencer, uh, falls in love with her, and um, then uh, they end up uh, working together and uh, saving the day, stopping the assassination on the Queen, uh, and ultimately killing Vincent Ludwig accidentally. (laughs) Um. And it's all happily ever after after that. Um, and then they t- made two sequels, which I've heard are not as good, but I'll probably end up watching at some point. Uh, they've all, they've got funny titles. I believe uh, the, the second one... Yeah, the second one is The Naked Gun 2.5. And, <laughs> and the third... And the third one is Naked Gun 33 and a third. <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah. Is. Yeah. So, um, I mean, initial thoughts on the movie. I mean, it's made by the same people who made Airplane. They, they do great comedies. And this is, this is another one of these great comedies by them uh it was uh oh interesting i just real i i looking at um the uh the uh uh wikipedia on the the film series as a whole um apparently uh the they were actually based on an earlier television series called Police Squad that actually starred Leslie Nielsen and it it's all the same people it looks like uh but it got canceled after 6 episodes unfortunately that was in 1982 so uh 6 years before yeah 6 years before the first film wow I will have to look into that TV show as well, because I am curious. Um, anyway, uh, initial thoughts. Again, um, this film is hilarious. It's got tons of like super clever humor. Um, and again, some humor that is still really funny, but also would not be put in a movie today. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> mo- probably most notably the the scene where he's climbing on the side of a building and uh, grabs the 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 penis of one of the statues uh, in order to hold on then eventually grabs the boobs of another statue then grabs the same penis on the statue again ends up breaking it off and then stumbles into a woman's window in the building holding the statue penis <laughs> so yeah that obviously probably wouldn't fly today um uh and you know there's also as we mentioned earlier casting choices that wouldn't fly today um yeah, but it's not yeah. their fault like they didn't how were they supposed they to know yeah, but that said, it was, as a result, a lot of the gags with OJ. OJ's okay. character are probably funnier today than they were back then, because it's OJ Simpson just basically going through all this physical pain. <laughs> And it's all played for laughs, of course. And then, sure, like, people thought it was funny back then, but it's even funnier now. And then there are a few lines that just become especially funny. Oh, yeah. I can't remember specifically, but a few lines become especially funny. Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but... Oh, oh, there was, um, when he's in the hospital, um, they were like... Well, well, Nordberg's a saint. He wouldn't hurt a fly or something like that. <laughs> so that that was that was especially funny today because it's they're oh, referring to OJ Simpson of all people. Okay. Uh. Anyway. Um. Leslie Nielsen, of course, gives a fantastic performance in this. Just like Airplane, his sort of deadpan delivery of all his lines really adds to the humor. Because he plays it so straight. He's saying all these, like, really funny lines. Actually, immediately before um, we uh, started recording this, I was actually waiting... Uh, for Jacob, and I actually found in my recommended videos um, a compilation of the the funniest lines from the Naked Gun movies, and so I refreshed myself on some of those jokes. <laughs> uh, and yes, like um, there's so many, like a lot of it is him just taking things like way too literally. Um, or just taking them in a different meaning than the, the speaker intended. Like, um, like one of the other cops is like, uh, you, um, they're, they're like going out to the docks, um, to look for that boat. Um, the, I love you 
um, that uh, Nordberg was shot on. And uh, the other cop says, um, you want to take a dinghy? And Leslie Nielsen says, no, I took care of that during the conference. <laughs> which is a callback to a previous scene, which is really funny, where they're having a conference discussing the, the Queen of England's arrival in America. And he speaks at the conference and then goes to the bathroom, but doesn't take his mic off or turn it off and so you hear him taking a piss the entire time <laughs> and it lasts for like two minutes or something <laughs> and it, oh it's it's great um oh and then there was like um uh like um oh ludwig offers uh, Frank a... Oh, gosh, again. Um, uh, Ludwig offers Frank a, a cigar, specifically a Cuban. And he's like... And he says, Cuban? And Frank says, no, Dutch-Irish. <laughs> like, talking about his own heritage. And it's just... Uh, is is great. There, There's some great jokes like that. It's just, like, all... Like super yeah, like, clever stuff. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of jokes, and they happen like really quickly too, which is which is pretty which I found pretty impressive because like the like the gags like very different degrees. The gags have a lot of varying degrees, like both in terms of how long they take and how long they can how much they're focused on by like the. Like, the camera and the crew specifically, and a bunch of other ways. But there's like so many of them; they go really fast. So like, if you find one joke funny, it's probably going to be like a couple seconds for normal under normal circumstances until like another joke comes up. Yeah, find really funny. And it's and it's really nice to watch see a movie like this because they really don't make comedies like this anymore. Um, yeah. Because the humor is just again super quick, and they don't like. They don't, like, spend too long on a joke. Um, of course, of course, with the pissing scene, like, that, I mean, that joke's still funny by the time it ends, even though it is, like, dragged out. Um. And part of the humor of it is just how long it takes. Yeah, that's, like, this movie only drags out the humor when it, when it benefits the joke, whereas a lot of comedies, like, spend way too long on a joke, um, and, uh, as a result, it is no longer funny, um, and so, uh, like, unfortunately, <laughs> I, um, I actually re, like, a, a good example of this is, I rewatched The Happy Time Murders recently, um, which um, got horrible reviews when it came out. I saw it with my buddy Zale in theaters, and we were both laughing our asses off the entire time. And we were like, oh no, that movie's actually pretty funny. I rewatched it, and it doesn't hold up. <laughs> like, I remember... 
and and granted this was also a joke that they showed in the trailers but um there's a scene where two of the where the main like detective puppet and the and the sec and the like femme fatale puppet are having sex in his office and he like when they're done he like there's just a minute of him basically coming silly string all over the place <laughs> yeah and granted i laughed on i laughed in that joke the first time and probably like i thought i thought it was kind of funny in the trailer and i probably laughed more at it in theaters but rewatching it i was just like yeah, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of current comedies. Now, granted, there are some great, there are some great comedies that, you know, still work today, but they just like, there's something about like, the older stuff like airplane and naked gun that just like, there's just a charm to them that isn't existent in current comedies. Um, uh, the, I, I would say the, the one place that I thought this movie kind of dragged with its humor was the baseball game. Oh yeah. I, I feel like that was the one place where the humor kind of dragged, uh, but just because oh it was kind of it was kind of the same joke over and over of, you know, let Leslie Neal, you know, Frank is trying to find because Ludwig is using mind control uh, in his attempt to assassinate the queen. Um, and um like the the way the mind control devices works is like there's like or not even that he's like well he he finds out that one of the baseball players is going to be um the one assassinating the queen um at Ludwig's request um in the seventh inning stretch and so throughout the game basically Leslie Nielsen disguises himself as the umpire uh, in order to get to the field and throughout the game is just basically basically patting down all the players one by one in order to figure out who's got a gun to kill the queen and so that goes on for some time and uh like at f like it's funny at first but that that is the one place where the humor kind of drags um yeah, which is a bit unfortunate because that whole area is the kind of the climax of the movie. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Um, but it but it does pick up after after the assassination attempt is stopped. Um, with the whole Ludwig falling off the building, getting flattened by uh, the truck, and then by the marching band. And also a steamroller. Yeah, the steam. Well, yeah, the truck, the steamroller, and the marching band, and uh, the um the other cop uh working with Frank is like, my dad died the same way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like how. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but where the where this movie really stride where where this movie is really successful is like just the the quick witty lines from Leslie Nielsen and then like some sight some really good sight gags as well. Um probably the best sight gag is um when he's with Jane and um they they get on well for well two great sight gags one like she like unzips her dress and you i mean you don't see any actual nudity but you can tell she's naked um and then he like zips down his suit and you just and he is naked and you just see his extremely hairy chest um and then uh, Jane says, uh, just so you know, I practice safe sex. And he says, so do I. And then it cuts to them in full body condoms, <laughs> just caressing each other in the bedroom. And it is so goddamn funny. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. well, one of my personal favorite sidekicks in the movie is... Uh, the scene where they're at the police station and like, like they're and, like, uh, the like the lab of the station, lab of the police station, and one of the lab people is like, like showing them evidence and like gadgets and whatnot. At one point, like he guides like he guides them from uh, one to another, and like the other cop that's with him follows the lab like through a door. But, God damn, I forgot his name. Somehow. <laughs> uh, Whose name? The main character's name. Frank. Frank, sorry, thank you. But Frank just, like, walks around the set wall, gets into the lab. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is definitely one, because we were laughing so much throughout this movie. This is definitely one... I'm going to want to watch again because I'm sure I missed a lot of jokes too. Because because a lot of the humor is like pretty subtle too. Like blink or like if you're not like listening you'll miss it. Um oh, there's another one where there was another one where like they were going through Frank's fridge. Like everything in there expired. Oh yeah. <laughs> Like, there are a couple of guys, like, involving, like, the like, things were slide. But then at the end of the scene, there's, like, this shot where it's, like, Frank looking off, and there's this fridge in the background, and then there's this thing that was in the fridge that starts, like, crawling away. Because <laughs> it had been in the fridge so long that it started to become alive. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, how? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, there's... Yeah, um, yeah, it's some good, good stuff in there. Um, another one, another great sight gag I forgot about, uh, and just remember just now, but, uh, when he first arrive, like, he arrives back at his apartment or house or whatever, and, and Jane is there, like, cooking dinner, um, and he's like, should I go change into something more comfortable? And she kind of gives him a nod. And then 
he comes back out in a different suit. <laughs> like, he was wearing a suit before, and he just changes into a different suit. <laughs> that one was really good. Um, I also appreciated uh, this movie's use of the song, uh, I'm Into Something Good. Uh, great, great song, and it works great for mm -hmm. that little, like, cheesy romantic montage between them. Um, it was actually a song I was introduced to, um, through my sister's, uh, choir. Um, because, mm -hmm. uh, like, the, the girl, uh, at one of, at the last choir concert of hers I saw, um, every year they do, like, a pops concert where it's just a bunch of like pop songs um and they the girls did an acapella mashup of uh i'm into something good and happy together and it is a fantastic mashup uh i yeah that does sound like it was like they were really well together yeah it is yeah you could say those two songs are happy together um <laughs> It's something good. Yes. Um, it, I believe it's, like, a, a like, popular acapella mashup that has been done by, like, multiple, like, acapella groups uh, and choirs. So I think you can find it on YouTube if you look it up. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good mashup. So I appreciated uh, the use of that song in the cheesy romantic montage because it works perfectly. Um, and it's also used in the credits. Also, we should mention the credits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because... Like, they make sure, like, put a number... Like, like, as you mentioned at the end, like, some movies put in end credit scenes af after the credits to keep you there. But it's really nice when movies, like, put stuff in the credits themselves to make them interesting. Because this movie, like, kept, kept telling jokes into the credits... Yeah. Like there's like, a number of like people who are like basically credited in joke roles. Well, including yeah, a number of people who were credited by the specific quote that they said. Yes, because there were a lot of characters that just say like one line in the movie and they're all credited with just that one line in the credits. So like <laughs> instead of a character name, it says like like oh Nothing my God, to see here. you killed him, played by <laughs> Ted Smith or whatever. Um, oh, and the, the credits of the cast start with, like, not by saying cast, but by saying people who acted in this film. <laughs> uh, and then there were and just a bunch of, like, made-up roles for the crew, too. Like, I like the director's, like, director's divorce attorney. Yes, that's what it was, direct, the, the director's of divorce attorney was credited. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> and then the, and then there's one that was. Uh, so it's hard to just be giving away like a bunch of jokes in this discussion of the movie, but uh, there was one that was uh, far left hand corner of the basement credited as the place to go in case of a tornado. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so good. Like, they just kept the humor going throughout the entire credits, and it was great. Um, again, like, more rewatchability factor, because I bet we missed a 
bunch of credits jokes. I bet we missed a bunch of them. Um, but we picked out some good ones. Uh, the divorce attorney. Oh, God. It's, again, so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think we're, I think we're actually coming down to, uh, closing thoughts. Uh, let me just check, uh, how long? Yeah, just about. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I guess, um, do you have anything else specific to say about Not that? Not specifically. Alright, well, uh, as for closing thoughts, again, this film is so, f so freaking funny. Um, I actually can't decide whether I like this or Airplane better. I gotta rewatch both of them, uh, to determine that. Because uh, they're both so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll definitely, yeah, this is definitely one I'm going to want to rewatch. I'm also, uh, you know, cautiously curious about the sequels. Um, I mean, the titles are funny, so, um, but yeah. And I definitely want to check out more Leslie Nielsen comedies, because he, he, he's just a, com a comedic genius. His delivery of every single joke is fantastic. No one, nobody else could do it like him. Um, he just, like, his just deadpan delivery of all his, like, funniest lines it just works perfectly. Because he was, because before he was cast in Airplane, he was a serious actor. Like, he, he did mostly dramatic work. Um, and then he was cast in Airplane because of that, um, because, because he could just play it super straight, and it was the funniest shit, and then they just kept casting him in comedies, uh, you know, some great, like The Naked Gun, and others I've heard are not as great, like Dracula Dead and Loving It, <laughs> um, which is also a Mel Brooks movie. Um, I'm curious to check that one out. It is free on Vudu. Um, <clears throat> as for checking out The Naked Gun, uh, unfortunately, by the time this episode goes up, it will be off of Amazon Prime. I don't know if they're taking it off of Hulu as well. Um, but, uh, I don't know, you can check. But, I'll, I mean, even if, even if it is off of both streaming services, just, like, if you ever get a chance to watch this movie, watch it. You will not be disappointed. And then for my closing thoughts, uh, I guess, really simply, uh, it's a very good comedy. I had a lot of fun during it. That's all I really have to say about it. Yeah, that's that's all you really can say. It's just a great, it's a great comedy. Um... Uh, then after that was O, and this is an interesting one, well, an interesting choice, maybe not okay. as interesting uh, of a movie as yeah, I seem to find I'll out. I'll go through this one. Yeah. Uh, so for O, we picked Ocean's Eleven, but not the Ocean's Eleven you're probably thinking of. So the one you're probably thinking of is the 2001 Ocean's Eleven. We're talking about the one that that's the remake of. Ocean's Eleven, 
from 1960 starring Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, going to the plot? Uh, yeah. So the plot of the movie follows a group of 11 former paratroopers uh, who come back together like sometime after like they've left service to rob five casinos along a strip in Vegas. <clears throat> the movie follows like them like getting together, planning the heist, performing the heist, and the chaos that ensues after the heist, after like everyone starts looking for them, things start to go haywire in some specific ways. In some, in some specific ways. And then ends kind of anticlimactically, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I, I mean, we'll get to this later, but I was. I was not sure how to feel about the ending, um, because, um, I don't know, um, I for one, I'll, I'll I say- I thought it was a kind of a bold choice, and I appreciate it in that regard, but- Yeah, it's, it's like certainly the- a bold choice for an ending, um, yeah. uh, but, um, I, overall, I- was kind of bored with this movie. A yes. little bit. I, um. Okay, I was very bored for the first 45 minutes of this movie. Yeah, because the first 45 the, minutes which, has nothing to do with the heist. It's all yeah, exposition. It, yeah, it's all introducing characters and, like, what their lives are like. Outside of this particular heist and, yeah, and nonsense. And yeah. And it's just... Understand why it's there. Like, it really... At least to give you, give you a sense of, like, all the characters. And so that you can at least have a chance to learn everyone's name before the heist goes off. But the characters, for the most part, aren't super distinct from each other. Like, I could confidently tell four of them apart... Yeah, and I think that that's probably a generational issue because the the thing is with the with the with the newer with the two thousand one Ocean's Eleven movie, mm-hmm. every character in that is played by a big star, like George Clooney. I think Brad Pitt. Maybe is Brad Pitt in it? I don't know. No, um, I'm not either. But like George Clooney is. Danny Ocean in that, and uh, here, let me look up the cast. Matt Damon, Brad Pitt is in it. Um, Julia Roberts, Andy Garcia, Bernie Mac, Casey Affleck, like, all, like, relatively big stars. Um, and for for this one, I, I mean, I'm guessing all of these guys were pretty big stars of the time, but, like, the only one I remotely recognized was, well, two, uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, who plays Danny Ocean in this uh-huh. one, um, and then, uh, Cesar Romero, who wasn't even one of the eleven, um, he, he was, he was the, the boyfriend of the mom of one of the guys, yeah. um, 
Cesar Romero, uh, uh, people today probably most know him as uh, the Joker in the Adam West Batman TV show. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I know. I just said, like, the, for the four where I could actually competently identify, oh, this is this person, one of them was because, like, they were the character, like, they were the character who was, like, defining thing was their farm boy, and so they were, like, the only person of the main cast who wasn't almost always just in a nice suit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then it was Danny Ocean, who I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize was Danny Ocean until the scene where they're planning out the heist. I realized it a little earlier than that, but yeah, the, the, this movie's biggest problem is like for people who don't know all these stars, um, they're all wearing suits the entire time, pretty much, and so it is very and, difficult. And for the most part, like, all, like, really similar-looking white guys. Yes, except for, like, the one guy like, who's what? not white. Like, like, I forget who is the name of the actor, but the character's name is Josh, and he's the only non-white guy on, in the entire cast. So I could tell who he was at any given moment. Yeah, yeah, um... And, and oh, wait, no, 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 not the only white guy in the entire cast, only white, non-white guy in the Eleven, because there was, yes. I, because there was, a, like, an Asian actor who was playing, like, the door guy, the doorman for the person who was helping set up the heist, but wasn't actually involved in the heist, and yeah. he was there, so. Yeah, um, and of course, the, the, the non- the only non-white guy in the Eleven does have a pretty memorable introduction scene. Yeah. Uh, because he sings that EO Eleven song. Yeah, oh man, that was... I really liked that song. Yeah, it is a good song. A song. And I remember you made a joke after that scene ended, and you were like, God damn it, nobody told me this was a musical. And you were joking, but there's a <laughs> lot of singing in this movie by the way, none of which is done by Frank fucking Sinatra. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of, like, a lot of, like, most of the instances where there is singing, like, except for the, are, like, instances where, like, someone in, like, in the universe is doing a performance. And like, yeah, except, at the, at one of the casinos. Yeah, at one of the casinos. And the camera just, like, sticks on them for long periods of time even though they are completely irrelevant to the plot yeah in fact they show the same guy performing the same song at the same casino twice and the second time it's just slightly shorter but i'm pretty sure a lot of the most of the footage is reused from the first time <laughs> and so why <laughs> first of all why are you performing the same song at the same casino within, like, the same week. I mean, it's probably just, like, he was there for that, uh, that song was probably just, like, one of the songs, like, in his set, and he was, like, being paid to do, like, the set. I, I guess so, that like, makes sense. Like, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, there are a number, like, 
there were several people who were hired for this movie to be performers, and man, did they get their money's worth out of the performances they gave. Yeah, except for the one com the one comedian, Red Skelton, who doesn't yeah. get to do any actual performing. They just, like, throw him out of the casino for some reason. Yeah, because, like, he has, like, a small bitch. Like, a really, really small bitch. Like, uh, if we did not... Like, like, if we did not notice and get, like, like, if the name Red Skelton did not stick out to this, as we would probably not remember this bit at all, where <laughs> yeah. he's just... Trying to cash a check at one of the casinos, and the guy who's like in charge, of, like the chips and whatnot, says, "Nah, man, you told it. I mean, you told you specifically told me to put a limit on you for this." And it's just like a, like a couple minute long argument between them, where like Red Skelton is trying to get him to cash the check into chips, and like the guy is trying to like the guy is just like respecting like past Red Skelton's wishes to not cash the check, and it just ends with them getting him getting thrown out. But the him getting thrown out doesn't like establish something about like the plan for the heist or anything. It just is a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, and like, um. <clears throat> oh, and then another like, and like with the actual stuff relevant to the heist stuff, that got that gets kind of repetitive because there are five casinos that they're robbing in the movie. And they show the exact same steps for each casino. And granted, the casinos are laid out a bit differently, and a lot of them are different aesthetics, so you can at least tell the casinos apart sometimes. But I, except for the Flamingo, I could not tell you which casino is which, even though we see the... And I also could not tell you when it was transitioning to a different casino. Yeah. Like half the time. Yeah, there's just it is very confusing uh for for both of us. I didn't even like did did I miss an explanation of what exactly they were doing for the heist? Like oh, did I miss yeah. that? So like they they did explain that. Uh so the explanation for the heist was uh they have two people in it. uh uh, there was one person work who already had a job at each casino. Uh, then somebody was going to like. Wait, 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 wait casino, a minute. Basically the so was that all five of these casinos had one of the eleven working there previously to the heist? Like at least, very least, like while they were setting up the heist, one of them was working there. So presumably, they already had jobs there. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Presumably some of them set that up to begin with, but anyway. <laughs> That's just way too Cause convenient. Same, cause like, that is like, way it, too convenient. No, I, that five I know, of these worked, 11 worked, guys had no, former jobs at casinos. It, I mean, it works for me because like, the movie starts off and they're already talking about this plan as if it's already in motion. Yeah, and then it takes an hour to actually get to, to get it. Get every everyone together in one place. So I read that as just a uh, oh, they had been working they've been working and planning this for a while, so they just like got those guys into those jobs like ahead of time. Okay. And and while we're while we're on the topic of uh the the exposition again, I do want to bring up the only like the only person of the 11's backstory I really cared at all about was Tony. 
the uh, electrician, yeah, um, who they established that he he's been like arrested and he he's in jail for how long was it? One to five years. Yeah, and then he just so happens to be released like the day before all this stuff is all all the planning is going down. Yeah, that was that was weird because like it was like you're getting everyone together and then looking and then someone's looking at Tony and then finally the Tony got arrested for one to five years and it becomes this big and then everyone treats this as this massive like a wrench thrown into the plan. And then the very next scene is just resolved. Yeah, they're just like, oh yeah, he's being released tomorrow. And it's like, what was the point of establishing that he was in jail for one to three years? Um. Yeah, oh yeah, anyways, back to the, because I was explaining the plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, So yes. the heist plan is like, like they have like one, like they have the guys in the casino and they also have like other guys like in there just like helping like survey the area and whatnot. Uh, then they had Josh, who was the garbage man for that area, and Tony, the electrician. So they would sneak, the plan was to get Tony in to each of the casinos at a time so he could mess with the electronic gates. Okay, I'll, I'll back up a bit. Uh, the safes in each of the casinos were set up in such a way that whenever, like, the power went out entirely for the casinos, uh, they would automatically, like... They would auto lock, but lights would come on like near the casino, like near the safe or whatever. So the plan was to have Tony Electrician rig the the wiring so that whenever the, the switching on the wiring so that whenever like a power outage happened, instead of lights go on, safe locks, it was lights stay off, but the but the safe stays unlocked because. By rewriting power to make sure, basically, to go to the sit being open. Uh, so the plan was to like get like Tony into each of the things ahead of time, so we could like figure them out, like in a, figure them out, figure out how to rewire them in a short period of time. And then on the night of New Year's Eve, uh, I don't know what it had to be New Year's Eve, but it was. <laughs> they would blow up an electrical pylon across the street from the casinos. Because of power outage, get in. Then while it was completely black, like pitch black in the casinos, go in, get into the safes, steal as much money from the safes as possible. For someone who saw them to sing. Yeah, for someone who saw them to sing. Just like, presumably that was just like keep them from like trying to alert anyone that something was going wrong. Yeah, it, it was just <laughs> funny how they were just like, you better. I mean, they didn't say it like this, but they were kind of like, you better fucking sing. <laughs> like, it was yeah. just funny. Yeah. And then they would take those sacks of money, throw them in the garbage, and then just like, and then just like, melt back into the crowds and like the jobs and whatnot. I think it's saying knows. Then later, Josh would come by, pick up the garbage in his garbage truck, drive it past the roadblocks because he was going to suspect a garbage truck of his being involved in this massive robbery at the cops come. And take it to the dump, store it in a safe place until everything blows over, then go back, get the money, and then split amongst themselves. But yeah. this gets complicated a little bit when, I guess you may as well get into this now. 
he was he was kind of kidded a little bit when after like they successfully like got all money into trash, Tony dies of some kind of medical condition. I'm unclear on which which would what it was, but like early in the film, like after he got out of jail, met up his son and whatnot. Uh, it was revealed that Tony had a, like a life-threatening condition, had like a very short amount of time to live, and the reason he got into the heist, got all in the heist, was to get enough money for his son to be able to go into college without him, so that he could still like support his family from like, even though he wouldn't be there for them and physically. That's, yeah, and that's the reason why Tony's. Uh, backstory was the only one I cared about because he seemed to be like the like I don't know what the others were planning to do with the money. I'm, but I'm gonna be honest. I'm not the only person. I'm only aware of like one other character's like reason for getting the money, and that was Jimmy, the rich kid who wanted to get the money so that he wouldn't have to just, like, live off of his, like, live off of relying on his mom for the rest of his life. That's right, yeah. But yeah. also just didn't want to get a job or something? I don't, I'm unclear on that. You know, yeah, you, th there, there's a lot of good points being raised about, like, yeah, why do... And then everyone, like, a couple of people talked about, like, using the money to get into politics and whatnot, but I'm not sure whether or not they were serious or joking. Yeah, because one of them was talking about wanting to, like, make women slaves? Or something? And, like, they I were all, like, laughing about it, so I'm going to assume that they were joking. Yeah, either way, I was not cool with that. Yeah. Um, especially because the, the, the only non- white guy in the Eleven was sitting right next to them? <laughs> yeah. And so you'd think he would be offended by that. <laughs> um. And, uh... And, yeah, and so, like, Tony definitely seemed to have the noblest intentions, and so, like, I, I thought it was actually kind of sweet, and, like, kind of sad when, um... Because he reunites with his son, and uh, they told his son that he was in Japan because they didn't want to tell him that his dad got arrested, um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, because he's a very young boy, and uh, so it's ju it's just kind of it's it's sad to like their their uh reunion is very like. Oh, the, like, the, I mean, it's, it's sort of like your stereotypical, but it's usually a stereotype in, like, comedies, where, like, oh, it's the dad that's really bad at being a dad, but he's trying to make it up to the kid. Um, but it's, it's, like, the, the way it's integrated into this story is actually pretty, like, sweet, because he's, like, he wants to use the money to, uh, you know, pay for his son to go to college, and, um, that, that sets up, um, the, all, the other tens sort of change of heart at the end, um, where, yeah, after Tony dies, um, they, they decide that they want to actually give all the money to he, Tony's 
well, now widow and son. Um, uh, no. That wasn't what was going on there. Is it not? That's what it seemed no. like. Their, their plan was... Okay, so that part of the plan. Uh, so, to explain this part, uh, for more context, uh, I, immediately before this part of the film, like, uh, this, like, Jimmy's, like, the rich kid's mother's fiance, Played by Sarah uh, Romero. Yeah. Uh, who's, like, a former, like, who's, like, formerly, like, really big in, like, I guess, like, the robbery world or something. Because, like, his name is immediately recognized by every casino owner in Las Vegas and also the police. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't quite see what was... I couldn't quite tell what was going on there because it seemed like the movie should have been over by that point. Yeah, but yeah, like... Like, <laughs> he was, like... Got away with the heist, and it felt like that was the end. Yeah, but, like... Like, he basically is able to, like, figure out that... These 11 people who are in, who stole the money from the casinos and basically blackmails them into, and basically tries to blackmail them into giving him half the money. Mm -hmm. And so... Three... So, or else, like, reportedly, like, the police or whatever. And so I believe their plan was like, to keep the money, like, like, to get the money as far from them as possible. And so, like, I guess, like, remove evidence or at least keep them from being able to get, like, that half of the money. Uh, they put all the money into Tony's coffin, uh, with the intent, like, with the expectation that they would, like, his widow would come to Las Vegas and then bring his body back home to, was it Pennsylvania or New York? I forgot already. Uh, I, I don't remember either. Anyways, back home across the country, so that, and then presumably, like, go back and, like, collect it from his grave. Oh, yeah, I like... But then, like, Josh, like... But then, like, but then, like, Josh, like, apparently, like, learning, like, what, what... Having learned at some point what uh, Tony wanted the money for, like, takes, like, one of the stacks of bills, and, like, puts it in his pocket, and it says, gonna give this to his wife, because he, like... Because oh, he wanted, wanted yeah, money for his see, kid's I college fund. I thought, you, and I that, thought they took that much for themselves. And that money gets to Tony's ex-wife, now widow, uh, and and then gets like saved for like his kid's college fund. So, in a way, the person of the noblest, <laughs> the noblest recent to do the robbery is the only one who got the money okay, to the end, better. even though that's he died. Okay, yeah, and that makes me like the ending a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Because then I was confused at that. Yeah, now I like the and, ending a lot more. <laughs> in that case, we may as well get to the ending. Uh, and then the ending of the movie is like, uh, in a in a further complication of the plan, uh, Tony's widow, widow decides to just bury him in Las Vegas because she can't afford to like bring him back while without dipping into his kid's college fund. And so they're having like a funeral session like in Las Vegas, so like all like. The other ten of them like go into the funeral with the intention of like getting into the coffin, I guess, like afterwards and like getting the money or something. And then they hear like the furnace go off and they ask, Wait, what's that what's that noise? And then some like guy goes, Oh, they're cremating the they're cremating the they're cremating his body, like during the funeral. 
and, and there's a really awesome tracking shot of all the remaining ten just sort of looking at each other. Yeah, they're in realizing the that, like, he's realizing that they're burning all the money that they hid in the coffin. Yeah, I like this ending a lot more now that okay. I, I like it. Okay. That they uh, actually saved the money for Tony and uh, didn't get the rest. <laughs> yeah. I like... Okay. I like... Okay. The ending is kind of an anticlimax because, like, they don't end up, like... They don't... They don't really succeed in the end. Like, in the, like, in the main goal of the film. And so it's, like, kind of, like, absolutely anticlimactic and empty. But I like it in the sense that, A bold choice in general, and B, it also, like, reflects you have a feeling, like, similar to that of the characters, who, like, because, like, you, like, went to the entire movie expecting, like, to get some amount to get the money in the end or something, and then they're just left with absolutely nothing. Yeah. And now I'm curious about left, the nothing. remakes. The remake. Yeah. Rather. Like, there's like absolutely nothing, and that leaves you like feeling like a little empty for like experience. And they themselves are also really empty, as you can see, like in like the final shot of the movie, which is them like just like walking down the sidewalk of Las Vegas at, from the funeral, like really just like sad and like dejected from having all that effort go to waste. While like EO Eleven is playing over yeah. the credits, mm-hmm. it's just in that sense, I really like the ending in this movie. But it is anticlimactic, and it's not exactly one that you look back on necessarily fondly, inherently. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and I guess we 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 should uh, move into closing thoughts. Uh, I ain't asking about that time. Yeah, and so um, I guess in my closing thoughts, um, now that that has been cleared up, that was not clear to me. Um, I also might have been very tired. Um, because again, this was the sixth movie we watched it within the span of two days. Um, uh, didn't get a ton of sleep the night in between. Um, and, um, that really, I mean, that, it messed me up more for the last movie than it did for this movie, and we'll get to that. Oh, I, I, I assure you... (laughs) The feeling is mutual, and I felt wide awake during that movie. Yeah, um, but closing thoughts, um, yeah, uh, overall, I didn't like this movie. I thought it, it felt way too long, even though it's only, like, two hours, but, like, that's long for a movie from the 60s. Yeah. Um, movies back then were not that long. Um, I miss those days, honestly. <laughs> um, uh, <clears throat> cough, cough, Irishman, cough, cough, endgame. <laughs> um, and, uh, because you can tell, <laughs> in fact, I actually made a joke about it in my Toy Story 3 video about how the original Toy Story, uh, put like, managed to tell a wonderful, entertaining, and engaging story within only 80 minutes, 
and I made a joke about where I flashed the Endgame poster on screen for like a second and was like, take notes, Marvel. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to shit on Endgame. Uh, that'll come more when we do the 2019 in review episode. <laughs> no, no, okay. I'll explain myself in that episode. I I have reasons. Um, I don't hate Endgame, but we'll get into it. Um, back to Ocean's Eleven. Uh, yeah, I didn't like this movie overall. It felt long. I was confused for a lot of it because I didn't know what was happening. Um, and that ending, again, there, there's two, there's two ways I feel about that ending. One, like, well, then what was the point of all this shit? And, but then on the other side of things, the only character who had noble intentions is the only character whose intentions pay off, which is, which is nice. Um, and this movie, while I didn't enjoy it overall, does make me want to watch the 2001 movie just to see, A, how the hell they turned this into a franchise, <laughs> and, uh, B, what, what they did to improve upon this movie, because the 2001 movie does have much better reviews than this one. This one has, like, a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Yeah. And the 2001 is somewhere in the 80s or 90s, I think. Uh, let me check that. Uh... Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what? Um... Wait, is this glitching out? Oh, it absolutely is, um, because oh, no. it says 2001 Ocean's Eleven, but it is giving me the reviews and the description for the 1961, um, so hang on, let me fix that, let me try 2001, nope, still, hang on. Uh, let me go to the Wikipedia. Reception. 82%. Okay. So, yeah, considerably hit, uh, more positive reviews. Yeah. And then your final thoughts? My final thoughts. Uh, I like this movie more than Noah did, uh, but... <laughs> Probably because you had more of an idea of what was going on. Yeah. But, like, there was definitely, like, problems, like, pretty clear problems in a number of places throughout the movie. And I can see, what, although, I, in the end, I can definitely see what made, like, a studio want to remake this movie. It's like, there's definitely, like, a lot of potential in here, and I'm interested to see, like, how, like, they change, like, the specific plans for the heist, like, to coincide in, like, more modern casinos and whatnot, because, like, like, the layout, it's, like, Sensibility casinos like have changed since then in terms of the very least how they keep the money safe because like they get smarter about that over time. So yeah. I'm curious to see what they do there. Uh, although I imagine like 
I'd imagine the remake has the same ending, but then the sequel is just all oh, this exceed this time, probably. Yeah, I'd imagine that's the case. Did, I'm, I'm gonna look up, while you're finishing your closing thoughts. I'm gonna look up how many there are. I believe it goes Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Thirteen, and then Ocean's Eight, which is the most recent one. There's Ocean's Twelve. Oh, I forgot about Ocean's Twelve. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't know if I'd ever watch this specific one again, but I'm glad that I did. Because, like, mm. like, it's interesting to see, like, an early, like, like, I mean, not the earliest, but, like, a relatively early modern heist film. And, like, and, like what stuff has, like, been set in stone since then, since then essentially, for, like, how they go and whatnot. And, like, what is, like, is generally the most interesting parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, yeah. All right. Uh, and then... Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then... Like, f oh, what were you going to say? Like, final, like, comment on the movie is probably would have been a bit better, but, like, they trimmed some of the fat for a lot of things. Yeah, definitely, especially from the first half. Yeah, like, shorten, like, the first half quite a bit. I just remembered one of the other guy's motivations... <laughs> Uh, one of them was he wanted the money because his wife was like a performed like a dancer, and he wanted enough money to so that his wife did not have to be a dancer because he was sick of people just like ogling his wife. But he never asked his wife how she felt about it. I guess. <laughs> uh yeah. <laughs> so that's that. I guess. Anyway, um, on to... Oh, and then there was a whole subplot about, like, Danny Ocean's ex-wife that never paid off in anything. That's right! That's right! There's, like, trouble in their marriage, and then nothing is resolved there. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, anyway. Um, now, actually, on to P... Um, Which was like the movie we did this entire marathon for, essentially. Yes, this is the movie we did it all for. Uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, of course, directed by Quentin Tarantino um, and written by him. Uh, of course, he ended up winning uh, Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars for it. Um, it was nominated for uh, various other awards, including Best Picture. Of course, that was the year Forrest Gump won. Um, which I know a lot of people in retrospective have, have looked back and said that Pulp Fiction should have beat Forrest Gump. Um, I'm not sure if I agree. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. Um, but it was also nominated, uh, Best Actor nomination for John Travolta, um, Best Director nomination for Quentin Tarantino, uh, best Film Editing nomination, and uh, Best Supporting Actor and Actress nominations for Samuel L. Jackson and Uma Thurman, respectively. Mm -hmm. um, the plot of this movie, uh, sort of complicated because it has a non-linear structure. Yeah, like, it's split into three separate, like, vignettes. Yes. Following the same general cast of characters, but they're not necessarily shown in order. Yes. Um, within the vignettes, they kind of split apart. Yeah, and it's basically basically showing a bunch of like 
basically just showing the escapades of these um, gangsters who um, all work for uh, Mar. I believe his name is Marcellus. Marcellus Wallace. Marcellus Wallace. Yes, thank you. Um, and uh, basically just showing, yeah, their escapades and uh, going into their lives and uh, deals with a lot of extreme violence, extreme language, um, extreme drug abuse, and uh, in the end, um, one of the gangsters, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, Jules, um, decides um, to basically devote his, like, devote the rest of his life to uh, following God, um, because he believes that um, there was some divine intervention that saved their lives during one of their outings. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, I guess, um, my, my initial thoughts, I completely understand why this is often, uh, why this is often regarded as one of the greatest films of all time it is certainly very unique in its style. Um, yeah. and I love, I do love this structure of the three vignettes. Um, uh, it's actually done a movie. I actually watched in my approaches to film class with a similar structure called mystery train, basically following, uh, three different groups of characters. Um, going about, um, like, going around Memphis, uh, shortly after the death of Elvis Presley, um, and, uh, there, and, you know, it seemingly unconnected, but it all connects together at the end, um, and, and it's a really cool movie, I, I highly recommend anyone check it, check it out, um, uh, doesn't have a ton of recognizable actors except for Steve Buscemi. Um, but, uh, yeah, it does, it, it is, it is a similar structure to Pulp Fiction, except a little more, li well, in Mystery Train, all the vignettes are happening at the same time, whereas... In Pulp Fiction, they're all happening in an order, but they're shown out of order. Yeah. Um, but I found that, um, upon watching, and we'll get more into this, uh, in a bit, but, um, that even though they were shown out of order, like, I understand fully why Quentin Tarantino put them in the order he did mm -hmm. um because it does tell because if you put them in order the movie sort of loses its message i think um and we'll get into that but yeah i completely understand why this is commonly regarded as one of the greatest films of all time I also understand why my mother hates this movie. <laughs> um, there, because 
I I thought the movie was was great overall, but there are certain aspects of it that I really don't like. Um, and I have a feeling we probably have similar thoughts on some of these things. Um, so, but yeah, we'll get into that in a bit. Um, did you want to give like some initial thoughts before we go into specifics? Uh, Generally, I really enjoyed watching this movie. Uh, I'm glad that we did the marathon to get to this. Mm-hmm, so am I. <laughs> yeah. And I look forward to saying a couple of things that like really messed with you, because there's only one really sticking out in my head that, like, in the specific, I was not a super big fan of. Yeah, and I, I do have a feeling so that is... I whether or not I just forgot one of the others for whatever reason, or whether or not it's just like a difference of a, a stance between us. So. Yeah, um, I have a feeling we are talking about the same thing. Um, I might as well get that out of the way. I'll, I'll, I'll go into okay, the maybe, negative... Maybe, maybe first we should describe what the three vignettes are. Sure. Yeah, that, that is a better idea. Um, I Yeah, um... The, uh, the, the first, well, first of all, before any of the vignettes start, it starts with these two characters at, a, at this restaurant, um, and they're talking about robbing the place, um, and this doesn't come back until the very end, um, I guess, like, this like the diner is like the closing and the opening of the movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very it's a very interesting twist that unfortunately I already knew about. Mm-hmm. Um but I still thought the execution of it was great. Um and basically that scene at the beginning ends with them pulling out their guns and like getting ready to rob the place. Um and like as they're screaming like like, I mean, I, I think, like, the, the girl says, like, oh, get the, like, get the fuck out, or get the fuck down, uh, or I'll shoot, or I'll kill oh, all yeah, of I you, or something. Every last one of you, like yeah, and then it's a freeze frame, and it plays the opening credits, um, very stylized opening credits, um, I, I, I really like the style of it. And then, like, it starts playing one song, and then that song gets interrupted, and they play a different song. <laughs> and, it's, and it's done, it's like, it's like so unexpected, and it, it's really cool. Um, and then, and then it goes to who end up being our two main characters. Um, uh, I... Uh, Vincent Vega, played by John Travolta, and the previously mentioned um, Jules Win- Winfield, played by Samuel L. Jackson, they're in a car going off to um, basically collect this briefcase from these kids. Um, and they're having, yeah, um, 
they're having this conversation about cheeseburgers. <laughs> um, they, uh, there's a very, very iconic line, um, where, um, John Travolta tell, or, yeah, um, Vincent tells Jules, um, you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese in France? A royale with cheese. Because France doesn't go by the mech, because France doesn't use, or... France, France, France uses because France uses the metric system. So That's what it is. Yeah. Um. And that, and then that comes back when Samuel L. Jackson, or when, sorry, I gotta get used to calling these characters by their character names and not their actors. <laughs> um, Jules is talking to the kids that they're getting the the briefcase from, and he brings this back up. Um, because one of the kids is eating a cheeseburger. Um, and then, and then he goes into, um, basically, he basically reciting, uh, a verse from the Bible, um, about, like, God's wrath coming down on people, and then they just shoot the kid, uh, multiple times, and then it cuts to the first vignette, the first actual vignette, um... Uh, which, um, takes place, um, I figured out, I was able to deduce by, like, after watching the whole movie and also watching the CinemaSins video, um, that the first vignette takes place second in the place of the three vignettes. Um, so basically, I, I deduced, I, I was able to figure out the order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's, so it's, you know, the, the scene, the, the Royal with cheese scene, then the third vignette, then the first vin- the, the second vignette. No, no, the, the second vignette, the, well, of like the three actual vignettes, the second vignette happens last. Because Vincent Vega gets killed. In the second one. Oh, we're talking about in chronological order. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'm talking about it in terms of, like, when it was shown in the movie. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. In, yeah, in terms of, yeah, no. In, yeah, organizing the whole movie in chronological order, it it is the Royale with Cheese scene, which leads directly into the third vignette. Um... And then it's, and then it's the first vignette, or, well, the, and then the, yeah, the, the third vignette actually leads directly into the beginning of the movie, um, and, uh, also goes past the beginning scene, um, to show you what happened next, um, and then it's the first vignette, and then the third vignette is the last chronologically, or the second vignette. Second vignette. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the first vignette uh, basically focuses on Vincent Vega taking out um, Marcellus's wife Mia Wallace, played by Uma Thurman. Um, out ba- basically taking her out to dinner, and you know, 
giving her a fun night be, because, like, he has to do other stuff, so he needs someone to keep her company. Um, and then, uh, one thing leads to another. Uh, she, back at their apartment, like, she ends up ODing. No, it's heroin. Yeah, that's the issue. She thought it was cocaine. Ah, okay. Um, but it, yeah. So she she snorts a bunch of heroin, which I mean, I mean, you shouldn't do heroin at all, but you're really not supposed to snort it. Um, as this movie shows us, because <laughs> yeah, she. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, um, don't, don't do drugs, <laughs> seriously, yeah, especially don't. not heroin. It's, don't. It's um, not worth it. yeah, um, so she ODs on heroin and, uh, Vincent takes her to the guy who sold him the heroin so that, um, they can give her an adrenaline shot and uh she's saved uh and that that's that's it for that and then they agree not to tell marcellus essentially uh because if they tell marcellus then they'll all be in trouble so yeah um and for most of them that means death yeah yeah because again marcellus is a crime boss <laughs> um or a gang leader or whatever um and then the second vignette um, follows uh, Bruce Willis's character. Uh, need to go to Butch. Butch Coolidge, yes, who is a boxer. Um, and it cuts. Well, it starts actually. <laughs> Butch is introduced in the first vignette. Yeah, he he was introduced briefly in the first vignette, and then doesn't really do anything in there. Um, but, uh, and the second... Basically, Wallace hiring, hiring him to throw his fight in a specific round. Yes. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Um, that's yeah. good to know, because in the second vignette, well, it starts with basically Butch as a kid, and, um... Receiving this watch from one of his father's war buddies, and, like, him explaining to him, like... Why this watch is so important, like to his family. Uh, the, the this war buddy, explaining why the watch is so important, and then what his father went through to get the watch to his uh, son, Butch, and yeah. then Butch waking up like right before the fight. Yeah. Um. Or no, I thought he woke up right after the fight. No, I think that was right before, because like he still has all like, all his like boxing stuff. Like, he still like it's generally how I believe like. Like, from the stuff that I've seen in movies, it's generally how it goes. It's like, you have uh, those rope things on, like, you walk into the arena and tails off, and then you get into the fight. Because he wasn't, like, wearing any of that, like, the rope specifically, like, when he's, like, in the cab scene, which is explicitly after the fight. Oh, okay. Never mind. Um, yeah. Also, going going back to the backstory, um, the, the war buddy is played brilliantly by Christopher Walken, and it's a very funny scene. Because he talks about how Butch's father, basically, to keep this watch from being found, um, 
he shoves it up his ass <laughs> and yeah. um keeps it up his ass for years <laughs> just because he wanted to make sure this watch was saved and passed down uh to his son <laughs> um and so it's a very humorous scene uh and then yeah so yeah butch wakes up um and then it doesn't actually show the fight um but um butch gets in a cab um and he finds out that he actually finds out that he killed his opponent um he didn't realize he had killed his opponent um he thought he might have but he wasn't sure um and the the female taxi driver is like asking him like what it feels like to kill someone um and he's like well i didn't even know i had killed him so <laughs> i don't know um yeah. and, like also another important thing uh, like is also like like not necessarily explicitly mentioned but like at least at this point but like heavily implied that like he did not throw the fight where he was supposed to and he had and later shown that he, had, in the video, when he meets up with his wife, girlfriend, what, something. Girlfriend. Significant other. Girlfriend, yeah. Uh, that he had basically planned to not throw the fight when he was supposed to, so that he could, like, make more, so they could make more money off of betting basically against Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's obvious that he didn't throw the fight because he killed the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, so he goes he goes uh, back home to his girlfriend. Um, to in a motel, motel room. Yeah, they're in a motel room, uh, and they have to leave. Um, now, now I'm realizing. Now I'm putting two and two together. Obviously, I had to get away from Marcellus, um, so they didn't like kill Butch. Um, yeah. And um, they're like getting ready to go. And, uh, Butch freaks out because he can't find that gold watch. Um, and, uh, so he ends up going to his old apartment, um, to try to find the gold watch. Um, and I'm now putting two and two together again because he finds the gold watch, makes some Pop-Tarts, um, but, well, off-brand Pop-Tarts, um, pastries. but, uh, doesn't take the Pop-Tarts with him when he leaves, um, he finds a gun in, in the apartment, um, and then, all of a sudden, Vincent Vega comes out of the bathroom, and I just put two and two together on uh, the Vincent fact that Vega, Vincent Vega was sent, was sent to kill him. Yeah. Um, but then... Plot twist, Butch kills Vincent Vega. <laughs> and it's awesome because it's like, so the pop, so the toaster pastries pop out of the toaster. You hear the ding. It sh shows the toaster on screen for like a brief second. And then Butch just immediately starts shooting up Vincent. And it's so cool. <laughs> um... And then, you know, he obviously has to, you know, get out of there quickly. Um, gets in his car. Um, he ends up 
uh, running, literally running into Marcellus, um, while driving, uh, and then they, yep, they fight, um, then they're both captured by, BDSM rapists. Yeah, yeah, essentially, um, which, which ends up making, making this vignette probably the, the worst of the three. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Anyway, um, it does end with Bruce Willis using a katana to kill people. Yeah, so that's cool. At least, independent of everything else, badass as shit. Yes, yes, it is really cool. Um, because, like, Butch escapes from, like, his binds, and it starts to leave, but realize, but realizes as he's leaving, like, the place where he's being captured, and being held. That he should do the right thing and goes back and like pulls a katana that the guy's head on the wall. Which by down. by the way, while we were watching, I ended up realizing that the guy who played the guy dressed as um the police officer, obviously he wasn't a real police officer. Mm-hmm. Um but I ended up realizing that it's the same guy who plays the main villain in the mask, so that was <laughs> funny to realize. Um yeah. And this was the same year, so drastically different movies for that actor um, yeah. in the same year. Anyway, she so goes back down, uh, kills the first rapist with the katana, then holds the other one at gun point, like, at, at sword point, while Marcellus <laughs> like, re- like, gets back into a standing position, picks up a shotgun that one of them had, just shoots the guy, shoots the other one in the leg. And then basically just agrees to like let Butch like g- give Butch a day to get out of town, and ex- as a thanks for saving him. Yeah. And then just call- basically calling in like the rest of his boys to just brutalize the last of the. Black yeah, boys. as he phrases, and this is another what I've come to understand is another uh, very iconic line uh, for people who love this movie. Um, uh, Mar- when Marcellus says, "I'm a go all medieval on your ass," yeah. um, which yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good line. Not as yeah. good as Royale with cheese, but <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's the end of that one, and then the third vignette uh starts with um. It starts immediately like. With, uh, with Jules's um, Bible reciting right before they kill, uh, the kid. Um, and then there's another kid that comes out of the bathroom, tries to kill them, and then they kill him, and then they take the... miss every single shot at point blank range, which is the divine intervention that... Yes, that, yeah, that's that's important, because, like, Jules points out that they definitely should be dead at this point, uh, based on where the bullets hit the wall, um, and so they take the last remaining kid who, who they haven't killed, they take him in their car, um, uh, and, uh, while in the car... Vincent is sort of waving his gun in front of the kid, and then accidentally pulls the trigger and shoots him. Um, and so 
now they have a like a a headless man they have a headless boy in their car and their back window is covered with blood so they have to figure out what they're supposed to do now so they end up going to um Jules's friends play or I was it Jules's friend or Vincent's friend? Yeah, Jules's friend. Jules's friend Vince uh Jules's friend who's played by Quentin Tarantino himself um and they're trying Jimmy. to figure out Who's the character's name? I don't remember. What is the character? Jimmy. Jimmy, yes, Jimmy. Um so they go to Jimmy's um and um they are trying to figure out what to do and then they call in was Wolf, I think is the something name of wolf. Yeah, something wolf. Um who basically uh instructs them on what they should do just cleaning like the, the mop cleaner. Yes. So. Um and so they clean out the car and uh get their clothes and like get out of their clothes, get new clothes. Um and uh then uh they end up getting the car crushed, uh therefore disposing of the body. Um, and then they go to that same diner from the beginning, uh, we see the couple, uh, getting ready to rob the place, um, and then, uh, and then Jules confronts, uh, the guy, uh, they have a confrontation and basically, uh, talks him out of killing him, um, and gives this really, you know, uh, deep, he, he gives this very powerful speech about how he's now devoting his entire life to God, um, and how all this, this violence is pointless. Um, and then Jules and Vincent just leave, um, after that, and the movie ends. Um, yeah. and I might just say, I was able to just properly convey it. Also, the description is in most of this section, and we're already over time. Yeah, no, we're we're gonna be going over time. We're yeah. we're still gonna be going over time because I I need to talk about this movie a lot yeah, more. But like that last section, uh, in the diner is one of the most intense like scenes in a film that I have ever seen. Yes, and I love it. Yes, it is so. It's such a great scene. Um, and I think conveys the mess, I, I think conveys the message of this film perfectly because at first I was like, okay, this is a lot of violence and a lot of swearing, um, for a movie. Um, but it all comes together in the end because it's a commentary. It's a brilliant commentary on how, pointless all this violence really was um in the grand scheme of things um and it, Samuel L. Jackson puts in such a great performance yeah, he does a fantastic job like I like I remember like I watch again I watched the CinemaSins video um actually today um so a little while after watching this film um and boy howdy they remove a lot of sins <laughs> um understandably so um 
And I think the last part of the of the video is them removing five sins for Samuel L. Jackson's performance, where they point out that he lost the Oscar. Um, I forget who to. Um, again, the only Oscar this movie won was for Best Original Screenplay. Um, and I'm going, I'm going to look at who won. Um, uh, Martin Landau won. I forget which movie it was for. Let me check. Uh, Ed Wood um, but he basically goes on to say, like, look, Martin Landau was good in Ed Wood, but Samuel L. Jackson gave the best performance, uh, of that year, um, whether you agree with me or not, I'm removing five sins. <laughs> um, and that's beautifully said, like... Samuel, like, I mean, everyone does such a great job in this movie, but Samuel L. Jackson especially. Um, uh, the, um, in the Sins video, they also mentioned that Uma Thurman's performance is very underrated, uh, and I agree. She, she, she was one of my favorites as well. Um, yeah, and like, there's a Samuel L. Jackson's performance is like, before I was a little worried that just like, cause I was a little worried that it would be a situation where I was like, oh, it's Samuel L. Jackson, and just like constantly being worried that would take me out of the movie. But like that issue just did not come up for me at all, cause like he just did so well. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's incredible work. Um. Uh. Now I do I do want to I I'm gonna go into my one other negative. Uh, we I mean we got into the thing with the the gold watch vignette and how the it got sort of uncomfortable near the end. Um, but um, the 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 one other part of this film that did make me very uncomfortable um, was. Um, excessive use of the N-word. Now, Samuel Jackson says it a couple times, and he's fine. He can say that. <laughs> because he is black, he can say that. Yeah. Um, I take... white characters who say it as well, though. Yeah, and the white... And he, the difference is, uh, Samuel Jackson ends his with an A. Um, the white characters end it with an R. Um, one of these white characters is Jimmy, played by Quentin Tarantino, the man who directed and wrote this film. Yeah. So I, you know, I I understand that people, that, like, screenwriters and playwrights write the write particular words in move in scripts for a particular reason. Uh, but I take a lot of issue with a white man writing himself a character where he says the N word with a hard R four times. Yeah. Um, now, now Samuel Jackson has defended Quentin Tarantino's, 
heavy use of the N-word, and, and to my understanding, this isn't the only case uh, of the of a movie where Quentin Tarantino uh, uses the N-word in his script. Uh, so, um, I'm not, I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that's what I've heard, that, that's my understanding. Um, and Samuel L. Jackson has defended, uh, Quentin Tarantino's use of it, so, you know what, if, if he's fine with it, you know what, fine, if, if other people are fine with it, like, but if, it, it just, to me, I, guess I someone who was involved in the process was like, and like, could have been, a, like, was in a position to, like, to be specifically offended by it, like, was fine with it. Yeah, like, he, like, if anyone should be, if anyone should have been offended by it, it would be him. But, like, to, the fact that he's defending it, like, fine. Um, I still don't like it, but yeah. that's fine. If, like, to me it didn't feel necessary, but if other people feel like it does serve a purpose, and... It sounded to me like not everyone agrees with it, but, like, it's fine. Um, uh, again, like, it's different than, like, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon is the, the CEO of WWE, who or the owner oh, of yeah. WWE, who dropped that, right? Didn't he drop it? Yeah, at like, he did that, like... Because, like, his thing is, like, he has a character, like, like, he rolls in a character that is literally just him, but explicitly a dick. Yeah, and, and like, there's... He is still a dick, but... I feel like that's very different yeah. than Quentin Tarantino's case, where he, I mean, this is, I mean, this film is art. Uh, yeah. and so, you know, like, I, yeah, I may, I may feel uncomfortable with it, but, um, if that's, if that's part of the art and people are okay with it, then fine. Um, uh, now to go into all the positives about this movie. I mean, we've already, yeah. we've already touched on how everybody gives a great performance. Yeah. Especially Samuel L. Jackson and Uma Thurman. Um, uh, John Travolta is also very good. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, like Christopher Walken is only in the movie for that one scene, but he just eats it up, and it's yeah. it's fantastic. And then Bruce Willis is also really good. Here. Bruce Willis is great. Um, yeah. Um, uh, in the Sins video, they actually pointed out like um, that like. They actually said that Quentin Tarantino's performance may be the worst acting performance of a director. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, his performance isn't, like, you know, putting aside the, the N-bombs, the um, his performance really isn't that great <laughs> uh, overall. Um, but yeah, um... <sighs> What was your favorite vignette in this, of the three vignettes? Ah, that's a good question. Yeah, because, ah. like, 
for me, it really is a toss-up between the first and the third. Um, because... Okay, I feel, like, I feel like if it wasn't for the rape part, it would be the second one. For that, for that scene just, like, brings it down from a decent amount. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... So, but, like, it's, like, like, still, like, most of it is still, like, really great. Yeah. And so I'm kind of torn between all three of them. I mean, again, like, and I feel like I can also, I can even excuse, like, I can excuse all the parts of this that make me uncomfortable because it feels like, like, with, with Samuel L. Jack, with, uh, Jules's speech at the end, that that was sort of the point of the movie was to make you uncomfortable, um, and show how, like, all this was, like, all this is unnecessary and how we should live in a more peaceful world. Um, and how a lot of this stuff is sort of glorified in the media. Um, which, you know, it does sort of detract a little bit from it, uh, with the fact that Quentin Tarantino, all of Quentin Tarantino's movies since then use extreme violence. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen another Quentin Tarantino movie? I have not, unfortunately. Okay. Um, because I have also seen Inglorious Bastards. I saw it a couple years ago. Um, after seeing this movie, I kind of want to rewatch Inglorious Bastards, uh, just to see if my opinion on it has changed. I remember liking the movie overall, but being uncomfortable at certain parts. Yeah, they- um, uh, like, it's kind of a different beast at the same time, because, like, while this one is, like, a lot about, like, the violence, that one is more so about, like, is, like, in, a very, in some very, like, heavy-handed ways, like, about the power of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, to, the point, to the point where, like, a big part of the conflict of the movie revolves, like, sorry, revolves around a movie theater. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and also, in Glorious Bastards has a phenomenal performance from the actor I want to play Magneto in the MCU, uh, which is Christoph Waltz. Um, after, like, literally after seeing... It was after... See- it was almost immediately after seeing Glorious Bastards. Well, maybe not immediately, but, like... Like, as soon as, like, people started talking about recasting the X-Men for the MCU... I was like, Christoph Waltz should be Magneto. <laughs> I don't know if he will get Magneto. Oh. I'm gonna have to say goodbye to you. Get there. One sec. Uh, no worries. Um. Yeah. Have a good Christmas. You too. Okay. Yeah. Love you. Okay. Oh. Anyway. Sorry. No, that's fine. Um. But yeah, anyway, back to Pulp Fiction. I mean, again, all the performances are great. I love the the vignette style of it. Um, I mean, John Travolta and Uma Thurman have such great chemistry in that diner scene, or in the the dinner scene where they're at, like, the the really cool, like, retro uh, diner. Um... Like that's a that is a restaurant I want to go to. Uh, just the style of I love I love that the style of it, um, and like 
she and she's got so much charm both both in her acting and you know physically um uh the dance scene is great um she's just very like she's very captivating throughout that entire vignette um and um Again, I love, um, I love, I love the Royale with cheese stuff at the beginning. Um, oh, and then they, <laughs> and then they have the conversation about the foot massages. <laughs> and, and like, they're, they're talking about, I mean, speaking very explicitly, they, they say like, or, yeah, John, um, Vincent says, like, well, yeah, I understand, because apparently, like, someone, like, Marcellus threw a guy, like, off a roof, um, for giving, uh, Uma Thurman's character, Mia, a foot massage, um, and, uh, Jules is trying to wrap his head around why, Marcellus threw a guy off the roof for just giving his wife a foot massage. Um, and, uh, Vincent is trying to explain to him that, like, uh, giving a foot massage and eating a girl out, um, to, to put it the way they put it explicitly, um, is, is basically the same thing and 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 Jules is like no they are not the same thing um and uh, like they they have this like long discussion about it as they're walking down a hallway and the camera's following them and then uh Vincent says would you give a dude a foot massage and there's a pause and then Jules is just like fuck you <laughs> and it's so great it it's 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 so funny like i mean for all the like gritty violence and and this is not like i wouldn't call this movie a comedy but it has some very comedic moments um i like my uh again the gold the gold watch vignette is probably it is definitely my least favorite of the three but it does have one of my favorite scenes in the movie as i already mentioned with the the toaster pastries popping out of the toaster and butch shooting vincent like immediately when they pop out um it's it just so the way it's edited is perfect like there are a bunch of cuts, but it's all done purposefully, um, and you can still tell what is going on. It is very like shocking, like comes out of nowhere, um, and I will excuse the amount of cuts made in that. Unlike uh, something we'll talk about in the next movie, yeah. um, uh. God, I could talk about this movie for a while. I again, it is completely understandable why this is commonly regarded as one of the best films ever. Um 
and like you know talking obviously there are parts that make me uncomfortable very uncomfortable uh parts that like i will watch this movie again but there are parts that i may skip um in fact um in the cinema sins video jeremy mentions that he has actually watched the film multiple times uh skipping the entire gold watch uh vignette um which while i might not skip the entire thing I might like upon yeah no upon rewatches I would probably like I'd probably like after he kills Vincent I would probably skip to the third vignette um which does mean skipping the katana part but I mean yeah um but, yeah, I mean, we might as well go into final thoughts because because this we are coming up on almost two hours and we haven't even talked about the fourth movie. This has, still be, this has kind of still become a Pulp Fiction episode where we also talk about three other movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, which, I mean, again... This is the movie we made. We did this marathon for, and I'm so glad we yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, going into my final thoughts again, I think this movie has a wonderful message. Um, so many awesome, awesome quotes. So many awesome scenes. Um, like the the cinematography is great. That like the editing is great. Um. Most of the script is great. Um, again, I take issues yeah. with certain things, but uh, I mean, I understand why it won best original screenplay. Um, uh, great, like insanely good performances. And it's just, it is such a unique movie. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I. I mean, like, what else? I mean, what else can yeah. you? I mean, obviously, you can say a lot more what about else this can movie. You say about spending another hour on this. Exactly. <laughs> like, um. Yeah, and it's in, and you know what is the weirdest part? This what? movie is half an hour longer than Ocean's Eleven, but it didn't feel that way. <laughs> Holy shit, you're right. Yeah, this movie's a this movie's two and a half hours, and it does not feel like two and a half hours. Wow. Um. Hell, if you skip certain parts upon rewatching, it'll go by in a breeze. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, now on to our, our final movie, um, which I have a lot less to say about. Um, yeah. Certainly a lot less positive. Um, yeah. Anyways, this final movie was my pick. It was our pick for the my pick for the Q movie, and 
as we discovered, the options for a Q movie are very, very limited. <laughs> yeah, we entered, we, we, like, this is the only movie for the challenge overall, because we, we've watched most of our movies, um, on streaming services that both mm-hmm. of us have. Um, obviously there were some exceptions, uh, with right. this, um... Like, where, like, watching it is free. Yeah. Yes. Um, which... I mean, even though we did rent it, because of all my discounts, it was free. <laughs> True. But yeah, this is the only one we had to explicitly purchase for the purpose of watching a movie, just because we couldn't find anything else for Q. And that movie is Quantum of Solace, the second Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Which, boy howdy, that was confusing. For, there's definitely a lot of parts of this movie that I didn't understand because I haven't seen Casino Royale. Yeah, like it's a direct follow-up to, like, in many ways, to Casino Royale. Um, so, to, uh... And to, so, just, like, like, the name is in some way a really good description of our experience watching this movie and that I have no <laughs> idea what the fuck it's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you, um... Who, like, they mentioned some guy named Quantum? Who no, is Quantum that? Quantum was apparently an organization. Oh. To be honest, I went the entire movie thinking that the organization was called Vesper, but I think that might be a per- I'm unclear. Yeah, I'm see, unclear. I thought Quantum was Only a person. There was supposed to be some mysterious shadow organization in the movie. But I was unclear in what the name of it was the entire way through. Yeah, God, I was so... I mean, this is the eighth movie we watched. Granted, it was the fourth in a day. But, like... Still, I was so tired in this movie. I missed a lot. Um, And... Yeah. um, And, okay, so to put it in context... Um... The only other James Bond movie I have seen is Die Another Day. One of the most ridiculous, like, ridiculously stupid James Bond movies, according to James Bond fans. And you have seen which ones? Uh, Skyfall, GoldenEye, Spy Who Loved Me, and Dr. No. Okay, so you had seen one of the other Daniel Craig ones, but one that came afterwards. After, and is not directly connected to this one. Oh, goody. <laughs> Alright, um, first off, um, I alluded to this during the Pulp Fiction discussion, but my god, that opening scene was God off. I hated that opening scene. Yeah. So, so many starts, cuts. So many cuts. In, this movie starts in Medea's race, I think that's how you pronounce it, which basically just means like in the middle of action, uh, with a car chase with James Bond and some other people? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we don't know. Just, we don't know. Maybe we would know if we saw Casino Royale. <laughs> and like, they're chasing him... Uh, down a street in some country, uh, and then through a construction yard at some point, and then eventually like, he gets like some tunnel somewhere, like where he goes outside, goes up back and like reveals that he had a guy in his trunk the whole time, and then from there, I guess not 
we sort of continue to turn their plot. Yeah. As, as best we can, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, from there, like, they bring the guy in for interrogation where he, like, he reveals that, like, there are people in the secret, like, about the secret organization where he reveals that there are people in the secret organization that have infiltrated MI6, the agency Bond works for. And so he goes out, and so after, like, a chase scene, that is also really confusing. Uh, he goes out to try and, like, find more leads on the second organization, kills his lead, but accidentally, but ends up finding a completely different lead in, I forget the name of the character, uh, but, like, the main, but the main, the main female character of the movie that's not M. Yeah, the the one you are seeing on the thumbnail right now. <laughs> yeah, her. <laughs> uh, who inadvertently leads him to discover a conspiracy by some Mr. Something Green. His last name's Green, who runs... Yeah, yeah, di uh, yeah. yeah discount, discount Stuart Bloom from The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. <laughs> who runs... An environment, like a pro-environmental protection organization on the surface that is apparent that we learned is actually just exploiting the natural resources of the area it buys under specifically for protection in order to basically strong, like, strong arm, like, the countries, like, certain countries into paying more for those resources. And then it's just him kind of pursuing them the whole time, and he finds out that he's related with the Shadow Organization, although I'm unclear on how he's connected to the Shadow Organization. And just I'm like, unclear on what that means. <laughs> yeah, just like a bunch of important people are involved in it, and like Americans are doing deals with it, and it's like yada, yada, yada. And this just kind of continues for a bit with no... <sighs> <laughs> until like Bond kind of has to go rogue because they're trying to call him in and he does not want to get brought in because somehow this will lead him to like the guy who killed the Bond girl from the previous movie yeah I serious guess. Bond fans probably hate us right now <laughs> yeah yeah anyways man I need to just go back and watch Christina Rao just to know anything of what was what anyone was talking about in this yeah movie. <laughs> yeah I I should and go then, back and watch a couple of those as well, especially because I want to see No Time to Die because Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas had such good on-screen chemistry in Knives Out that I want to see them in a movie together again, even if yeah. it's a Bond movie that I won't yeah. know what the fuck is going on in. Yeah, and then, like, he goes rogue for a while with some guy who I guess was also in Casino Royale. Uh, and they basically continue doing what they were doing before, and then him, like, the guy he put, he partners up with, and then some other girl who was working at MI6 who was supposed to bring him in, but didn't because James Bond. <laughs> yeah, and so he goes extra rogue after that, uh, and goes to basically just take out Green and the dictator he was working with at that time with, well, alongside the the main girl, whose name I can't remember, uh, who wants to kill the dictator for personal reasons. And they go, and they kill the dictator, and they capture Green, and they 
Bond gets the information he wants out of Green and just leaves him in the desert to die. Uh, and then he goes and he finds the guy and he doesn't kill him but arrests him. And like there's a I into it, like there's a scene in this movie where like he keeps killing basically everyone he encounters, but then he doesn't kill this guy for whatever reason. I think it's because he's learned his lesson. I'm unclear on that. <laughs> Uh, because, well, okay. I'm unclear on James Bond ever learning a lesson. Yeah, so, yeah, especially with women. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, now, you've seen more movies in, in the Bond franchise than me, um, do you know if it's ever been established that there was, like, a code that James Bond was not supposed to kill. Is that, is that that there was a code because he is licensed to kill? That's the part of the tagline of the James Bond series? Uh, I oh. think it was just, like, he keeps killing, like, the leads, so, like, bringing them in for interrogating, to interrogate them for extra information. Okay, that something. makes sense. And, and so just, like... And the, the movie does make it out to be, like, he, I mean... All, all this killing is fueled by his, his anger at the death of his love in the previous film, um, which, again, we haven't seen. <laughs> so, um, I was able to pick up on that, but, like, well, mostly because I read the description of this movie, and it <laughs> mentions uh, he wants revenge for the death of his love, and I was like, oh, good. I Like, before we started the movie, uh, I read that description. I was like, oh, boy, I hope I don't need any previous information from any information from the previous film to understand this one. And it turns out I did, but not for that reason. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, which, I mean, this really feels like I mean, I knew, like, I had heard that, like, I mean, specifically because of Die Another Day, they wanted Daniel Craig's depiction of the character to be a lot darker and more serious. But, oh my god, it is, that is, like, ramped up to DC levels in this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> holy shit. And it's like, yeah, the movie is trying so hard to be super serious, and then that final, that final fight in the burning building is no, not the burning building, the exploding building. Yeah, the exploding building, and just like the fact that the building is exploding around them and they survive, and also the way the villain acts in that scene, he is going completely insane. Like I actually was like laughing to myself a little i was trying not to laugh but i found myself like laughing inside with his acting in that with with the villain's acting in that scene i was like yeah this movie was trying so hard to be taken seriously and now this shit <laughs> like and this I is think, just ridiculous I think that was, like the best action scene in the movie 
because it was the one you could most easily follow. Yes, because, yeah, again, the beginning scene has so many cuts. I I told Jacob, I, I want to... Now, I don't have my rental of this anymore, so I might just end up, like... If it ever shows up on a streaming service... You probably find this specific scene on YouTube at the very least. Yeah, probably. Actually, I'll probably I want to go back and watch that beginning scene, not because I liked it, but because I want to count how many fucking cuts there are in that scene because there's so goddamn many cuts, and it is infuriating, especially for a film student. Yeah, and like it's so emblematic of basically every fight scene in the movie because like. Like, there seems to be, like, jump cuts, like, every single second, sometimes multiple jump cuts a second, it feels like, and it just completely disorients you to the point where, like, you can't figure out, like, sometimes you can't figure out the geography of, like, the situation and what anyone's doing and, like, where everyone is relative to everyone else, and those are really important things to be able to know in an intense fight scene. Yeah, it's... Especially ones with, like, elaborate... Especially ones that are, like, in some ways, like, really elaborate, like, the, the driving, like, chasing the beginning and like the second like big action sequence of the movie where it's like him versus like the double agent like fighting basically like suspended from ropes yeah like, that like, scene and it would have been really really cool if i could have te- been able to tell what the fuck was going on exactly i had the same thought it, the, it, those two scenes i just hated like, they were cool in theory, but just the way they were cut, it just is infuriating. Uh, um, God. And you can make, like, cool action scenes with a lot of cuts work well. Example, Pulp Fiction, The Killing of Vincent Vega. Um, again, <laughs> uh... Is just oh my gosh, and so like, and so, this movie was somehow even harder to follow than Ocean's Eleven yeah. for me. Oh, and then like, another cutscene that I feel like is emblematic in a completely different way. Uh, there is a action sequence where they are on a plane and they're be- with, with no guns or anything, and they're being chased down by a fighter jet. And like one, like the main girl is like, like James Bond is flying the plane, and like the main girl is like looking at the windows trying to find the plane. Like she goes to one window, looks out, at it, and says, "I think we lost him." But like the plane was on the other side, and to be honest, I could not tell the plane was supposed to be on the other side, even though like it kept kept jumping back to outside the plane to show us where they were relative to each other. I could not tell what side of the it was even on. Yeah. Um. Which is a shame because, like, the, like the end part of that action sequence, like, this is like, like a really like clever thing that requires you to understand where they are, like, especially each other. Because, like, the fire, like, the fire just like shoots out one of the engines, so it's filling with a bunch of smoke. So James Bond uses the smoke from that engine to blind the fire jet enough to trick him into not being able to trick him into going underneath the main plane so we can force him down to crash into a cliff. Okay. Which is really clever. It requires a lot of, like, knowledge of geography for it to make a lot of, like, any real sense. 
and Saint just doesn't because almost none of the action sequences have like good senses of geography, except for maybe the last one, which might actually be helped by the fact that the action sequence is actually happening in two completely different rooms. Yeah. Um, because are literally just two different entire locations in this, so it's some, and which makes it somehow easier to follow. Yeah, you want to know what's gonna prove our point even more that this, uh, that this movie was extremely hard to follow for us. What that scene you were just talking about with the planes? Yeah, I have zero recollection of that scene happening. <laughs> Zero. I was like, you were describing it, and I was like, wait, did we watch the same movie? Like, I do not remember that scene at all. Like, I have zero recollection of that scene, and I was just, like, baffled by the fact that I didn't remember that scene, because that scene sounds insane. And you'd think that would be another one that stuck out in my memory. But no, I, I must have been just, like, way past, like, the point of, like, being able to pay attention to this movie. And, again, it probably, like, I mean, no, not probably, definitely didn't help, A, that we hadn't seen Casino Royale, yeah, and B that um we had watched three movies the same day um we had watched three movies the same day uh that uh and it was like it was the seventh or it was the eighth movie we had watched within the span of two days um, so it was very difficult for... Yeah. Yeah, I found it, like... I found it difficult to stay awake. <laughs> um, which you'd think an action movie would keep me awake. <laughs> but not when you don't know what's happening. And also, like... What, and also, what was the deal with... Now, I called her Discount Bryce Dallas Howard from Jurassic World, but this movie came out long before Jurassic World, <laughs> so that's not entirely fair, um, but, like, what was her deal? I know she was sent okay. in to bring Bond back to MI6, but, like, did she serve any other purpose okay. apart from there being another fun. hot girl for Bond to sleep with? Not really. I think I feel like she was just in the movie, like because they wanted like Bond to see with some hot girl, but didn't want it to be like that main girl for whatever reason. Yeah, which like I mean, God, I mean, <laughs> and then like when the main girl came back, I had forgotten about her by that point. <laughs> it was like. Yeah. Like, she was supposed to be, like, the main girl, and she just disappears for a lot of the movie in the middle. Yeah. Um, also, can we talk about the fact that David Arbor is completely wasted in this movie? Yeah. Like, he plays a super small role. I don't even know what his role is in uh, the grand scheme of things. someone working for 
the U.S. government. Okay. I um, think it was like, like CIA specifically dealing with South American countries or something. I don't know. Like they gave him, they gave the description of his job like one lie in the movie and just assumed you knew what the hell he was supposed to be about beyond American. Afterwards, yeah. Like, they kept bringing up the fact that he like he worked for America, but beyond that, they never went to specifics ever again. Yeah, throughout the movie, he and he and Jeffrey Wright just felt like the nerds that nobody wanted to sit with at lunch. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And, like, the end of the movie, like, in some ways, it's like, one of them gets, becomes, like, really important, and he acts like, like, he and Bond were, like, like in some ways, like, knew each other really well the whole time, but unless they, like, met each other in Casino Royale or something, I had no sense of... Like, it just seemed, like, out of place, like, how, like, relatively, like, familiar they acted with each other. Yeah, it's probably a Casino Royale thing. <laughs> I have to imagine, because otherwise I just can't make sense of it. Yeah. Um. And, um. Oh, God. Okay. Um. <laughs> So, I don't have much more to say beyond final thoughts. Uh, I'm here, really. Yeah, um, which, I mean, we definitely didn't talk about this movie for 30 minutes, <laughs> but that's fair because we're already over time because we spent so long on Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, so, final thoughts, I mean, again... This movie was confusing as fuck, which at some parts was probably our fault. But for those action scenes, uh, no. Yeah. Um, that's on the movie. Yeah. Um, I think the only, the only part of this movie I r remember getting any enjoyment out of was when, um, they're like, conf like, Bond and the main girl are in a car and they're confronted by some guy who's like trying to kill one or both of them. I it, again, it's unclear. Um and she says, "Is that a friend of yours?" and Bond responds with, "I have no friends." <laughs> <laughs> Which that line is hilarious. And after watching this movie, I understand why. <laughs> I guess my final thoughts are just kind of the same as someone that I already brought up early in the movie in that I think of this movie in the same way that I think of the title of this movie that I have no idea what the fuck it's going on about. Because seriously, what the hell does Quantum of Solace even mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I understand the title less after watching like, this movie. Like Quantum, I can kind of see referring to, like, the organization, one of the evil organization in the movie, but then what does the of solace mean part? Well, I, I'm so confused that I speak, I'm speaking non-chronologically of my sentences. What does the of solace part mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Also, I guess one other thing, I guess. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, 
opening like opening credit song in the movie. Definitely not my favorite of the James Bond opening songs. Yeah, see, I don't know a lot. <laughs> yeah, like, no. You, like, you see some movie just like has like an opening opening number to go along with the opening credits. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Best. I'm just. I'm just gonna throw this out there. The best Bond theme is Postmodern Jukebox's cover of Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift. Which, no, seriously, when we're done with the podcast, listen to that. It's like, okay, so I hate the song Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift. I think it is, I mean, I hate all of her songs pretty much, uh, like Shake It Off Onward, um, but that song especially I hate. Um, it was the, my girlfriend at the time introduced me to the band Postmodern Jukebox, which does, like, um, basically, like, covers of pop songs, like, current pop songs in a, in a vintage style, um, and the first, the first cover she, she played for me was their cover of Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift, which is in the style of a Bond theme, and it's so fucking good. Alright, so let's check that out later. Yeah, that is, yeah. <laughs> so, as someone who has only seen two Bond movies and doesn't remember the theme from Die Another Day, Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift, and as as performed by Postmodern Jukebox, is the best Bond theme. <laughs> um, so that's going to be it for this episode of the podcast. Um, uh, for R, um, if as long as we're both able to watch it before it leaves Netflix, uh, I mean, we already sort of talked about it in the first episode of the podcast, actually. Uh, we want to do Rocky. Um, if we're not able to both watch Rocky before it leaves Netflix, because uh, it also leaves Netflix at the end of the month, uh, in addition to Pulp Fiction, um, I have a backup that I won't reveal yet. Alright. Until we, like, we, if if it comes to that, we I will we'll go with the backup. But uh, that's going to be it. Um, and I don't know... Uh, what we'll end up doing for the next episode, um, as far as, like, main topic, um, it would make sense to do, j just because, I mean, well, this episode is actually going to be the first one going up in 2020, mm -hmm. um, so it would make, yeah, it would make sense to do a year in review, um, but there are a lot more movies I need. I want to watch um, from this year before we do a year in review, and yeah. there are uh, also a lot of movies Jacob needs to watch from this year before yeah, we do like a year a year in review. Um, like any movie from this year, actually, basically. Well, you watch like, The Irishman, <laughs> and yeah, I guess. and Endgame. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was this year. Yeah, and I'm assuming Captain Marvel. That was this year? Yeah, right? Holy shit. Wow, right? okay. Yeah. 
Okay, I have the exact same problem, like, whenever people are talking about, like, video games. Where, like, I can never remember what games were from the current year by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. No, I I've def I definitely have that problem with certain movies, too. Um, last year... Believe, last year was crazy because I remember, like, going through, like, the movies that had come out in 2018. Um... And, um, that, that year had some good movies. I mean, A Star is Born, Black Panther, um, lot, lots of good, lots of popular movies at the awards, uh, ceremony of that year. That was one of my favorite award ceremonies I've ever watched, um, was the, was the Oscars last year, mm -hmm. um, but, um, the movie I keep forgetting came out in 2018. Mm -hmm. Of all movies, I keep forgetting about Deadpool 2. Which is insane because of how much I love the first Deadpool movie. And the second Deadpool movie is great too. Not as great as the first one. But... <laughs> Holy shit. Wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah, right? That I, feels like so long ago. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, by the way, um, in order to save uh, room uh, in the car um, for our trip to Illinois, um, we did our gift exchange, um, me, me, my mom, and my sister, uh, tonight. Um, and I got a bunch more movies. Nice. Uh, including Once Upon a Deadpool. <laughs> um, and I also got, um, Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Alright. Um, because I gotta see what, because I've, <laughs> I've heard it's good. I've heard it's good. Um, and I really want to see it. Um, I also got the Lego Batman movie, um, the Lego movie 2, the second part, which I haven't seen yet as well. Um, that also came out this year, and everyone forgot about it. <laughs> um, and then I also got Bumblebee, and a two-pack that came with Click and Mr. Deeds. Um. And, uh, then my sister actually, um, got me something really cool. She got me this poster... It's a hundred movies scratch off bucket list. The point of the poster, oh. it's got like a hundred of like the best movies, um, like various different movies on the poster, and but they're like, like you only see the titles of the movies, and they've got like little pop art images um, associated with the movies um, that are covered up by like the silver layer you see on like scratch-off tickets uh -huh. um and so for each like when you see one of the movies you scratch it off to reveal the image oh neat uh and so that's gonna be cool i'm definitely like we're gonna get some like poster board to like put the poster on so that it stays nice uh -huh. um and uh I'm definitely going to be, um, trying to, 
you know, obviously finish that poster. Um, and, uh, once, once I get it like set up, I will, um, I'll, I'll figure out which movies on the poster I have seen. And, uh, I will, I'll keep people updated on, on the podcast, uh, when I end up, uh, scratching more movies off of the list. All right. So that'll be, that'll be sort of a, a separate film viewing challenge for me individually. Um, but, uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. And so, um, I like how we just used the rest of Quantum of Solace's time to talk about other shit. <laughs> <laughs> essentially <laughs> um uh so that's gonna that's actually gonna be it for this podcast um uh well I guess you know for the next episode um I was thinking we could do like I was thinking initially we would do year of review and then uh, an episode on, like, talking about, uh, movies for 2020, but we could actually talk about movies for 2020 in the next one. Alright, that's it. Yeah, we'll do that. Alright. Uh, so, um, yeah, obviously, uh, that, uh, keep, um, look out for the next episode of that. And, um, in case you missed, uh, my update video about it, um, episodes of this podcast will be going up on Wednesdays from now on. I mean, these first two, ep uh, the, these past two episodes have gone up on Wednesdays, of course, by the time you're viewing this. Um, and this one will have gone up January 1st, 2020, um... But, uh, yeah, they, that's what I'm going to be doing, uh, because it just, it fits with the rest of the schedule, since I do Miserable Movie Mondays, obviously, on Saturdays. Um, <laughs> I was expecting a laugh there. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, but Miserable... I, since I do Miserable Movie Mondays, obviously on Mondays, and we've been doing dubber, dubbers on Fridays, I figured, oh, let's do No Lights, No Camera action on Wednesdays. That may, that works. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, of course, there. I'm not guaranteeing there will be an episode every week, because college. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean... We've got, we've got a couple weeks still of winter break, so we'll, we'll probably have some time for, um, some more episodes, uh, just sort of recording in advance, um, so that'll be nice, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's gonna be it, sorry, this, I'm just, been rambling. Uh, That's fine. We're going to be podcasts about tangents and rambles. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
anyway, uh, peace. Adios and scene.